You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Today, we are finishing up our uh, series on rethinking the church. And what we've done over the past few weeks is we've looked at the seven, at the letters to the seven churches in Revelation and see what Jesus says about the church, what he thinks is a healthy church, what he defines as a successful church. And this week, we're going to, as you heard Tim say earlier, we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. And we've seen things like how... Uh, a healthy church is marked by love, love for God, love for others. A healthy church is marked by perseverance in the face of persecution. A healthy church is marked by holiness and, and fighting against sin. And this week, in this last letter, we're going to see that a healthy church is marked by intimacy with Jesus. Valuing him above all things. So, I'm going to invite, I invite you, one, I invite you guys to stand with us as we read God's word. I'm going to invite John, our scripture reader. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. So, if you would, you can turn there. You can go to the Bible app on your phone and the notes will be in there as well. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. It's to the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I get the privilege to... Talk about the hardest letter. <laughs> so before we start looking at the punches that Jesus is throwing at us, uh, let's pray together. Father, meet us here. Meet me here on this stage. Do not hide your face from us. In the midst of hard words you give us, there's also the invitation of your love for us. 
So let us leave here knowing your love. Amen. You may be seated. Scholars all agree that Jesus saves the worst for last. Ah, that's not me. I eat the blue M&Ms first because those are last because of the best M&Ms. I eat the best part of my meal last because that's my favorite part of the meal. Jesus here, on the other hand, says, I'm going to save the worst for last. And he's coming out swinging. Okay? And as we're going to see, while he doesn't withhold punches towards us, he also doesn't withhold love for us. And it's beautiful how he does this. He's so parental in this letter. And we're going to explore that. And we're going to have some fun with it, okay? I got a lot of notes. And I know I'm standing in the way of our 4th of July weekend. And I conveniently got a text from Jared on Friday with an article about a case for shorter sermons. (laughs) So I don't know if that was a subliminal note (laughs) or not, but look, we're going to wrestle through this text. It's been hitting me in the guts and in the face this week, uh, but I've also been met so tenderly by Jesus And I hope and my prayer is that we experience the same thing this morning. I think what we're going to see is the church of Laodicea looks a lot like America's church. And quite possibly a lot like us. So it's extremely important that we get what Jesus is saying. Now, before we dive into his exact words... You know, real estate agents say location is key. Location, location, location. Well, in Scripture, context is key. Context, context, context. So let's explore just real quickly what first century Laodicea was like, okay? So Laodicea is this town in what's now modern Turkey, the country Turkey. And it is sitting along a major trade route, okay? It is a Roman-ruled city. However, Rome's kind of lax on them because they've, over the years, they've proven their faithfulness to Rome and their trustworthiness to Rome. So Rome's kind of got this uh, back. We'll be standing back over here monitoring what you're doing. You just, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. Well, over the course of time, because they're along this major trade route, all these trade transactions are happening in Laodicea. And so what do they start doing? Hey, let's create a bank and let's capture and profit off of all this trading that's going on here. So now Laodicea is this massive banking center for the region. But that doesn't continue. I mean, it continues on. Now they, they say, look, we have all these smart people here. Let's establish a first century school of medicine. So now there's a doctor school here. And they're compound, they're do, they're practicing what, I mean, it, they didn't invent this, but they really started expo- experimenting with it of compounding medicine, you know, taking one medicine and another and then compounding them together to create a super medicine. Well, that's kind of what they were, do- that's exactly what they were doing. And they ended up with this eye salve that would heal ailments in the eyes. And it was exported all over the known world. People were coming like, we got to have this. We got to have this. This stuff is working. Whatever kind of ailments it was treating, it was healing them. And not only that, 
They were also known for a black wool market. Not like the black market that's hidden, but like these sheep. They figured out how to breed sheep to get black wool. And it was a lucrative product. Because, I mean, think about it. How many sheep have you seen that were black sheep? Most of them are white, right? But they figured out if we can... We can shear these black sheep to get this black wool. We can make carpet and fine clothing. Now all these, this textile industry has just exploded in Laodicea. All right? So remember these. Remember this is what I, remember what I'm saying here. Banking center, major wealth, school of medicine, again, profiting off of that, and their textile industry of the black wool market. They also had a weakness. Their weakness was they had no natural water source. So here's how they got water. They built these aqueducts and these pumps that from six miles off at the Heropolis, they would pump water in. Then they built them on this side of the city to go 10 miles out to the city of Colossae and they would bring water in. Okay, remember that because that's a major point of what Jesus is going to be hitting at here in just a minute. So this city rises to prominence. They became so wealthy and so well-known. In AD 60, a earthquake hits, ravishes the town, destroys it. So Rome, because they're under Roman rule, says, hey, we're going to send financial aid. We're going to send support. We're going to help rebuild the city. The citizens of Laodicea say, nah, no thanks. We'll rebuild it. And out of their own wealth, out of their own uh, money and power, they built their own city saying, we don't need you. In fact, a Roman historian in AD 69 said, talked about how well known this became, says Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of our own resources with no help from us. So can you see already this self-sufficient life, this wealth, affluent life that's being instilled in these citizens of Laodicea? Extremely wealthy, extremely smart, and extremely uh, self-sufficient at least on the outside. And it is in this context, it is in the middle of all of what's going on here that Jesus writes this letter to this church. And let's look at where he begins. Verse 14, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This is an interesting way that Jesus has started because in all the other letters to these churches, Jesus writes about what he does. I hold the golden lamp stands. stands. He's talking about something that he does or will do. In this letter, he talks about who he is. Not what he does, but who he is. And what does he say? He says, I am the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, ruler of God's creation. And this depiction, like this isn't unfamiliar territory for John as he's writing this. If we go back to John 1, his gospel, the things he writes there, it mirrors and echoes these things. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God and, what, and the Word was with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you see these themes here? The amen, the word was God, ruler of creation. All things were made from him, faithful and true, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus is saying that when he says that I am the I am, he's saying I am the ultimate authority. I bring a completion to all of God's goodness, all of God's faithfulness, to all truth. These are the words of an unchanging God, is what he's saying. When he says that I am the amen, he's saying that all of God's promises, all truth, all goodness, all faithfulness, all authority, all of how life is supposed to work best, find their yes in me. So when Jesus begins the letter this way, it's as if he's saying to you and I and to the church, remember who's talking to you. And it's so good that he sets this letter up this way. It's very parental, right? Think about like, so most of you know we have five kids and we have them from 13 to 2. So we have uh, learning how to parent a 13-year-old to managing a 2-year-old swinging from the ceiling fans, okay? And so, um, and that's not a joke, her head got caught in between the spindles of the staircase this week. <laughs> For <laughs> you laughing. <laughs> um, but I think about like when it's time for us to have a family meeting or time for us to have a, a tough conversation or corrective conversation or conversation that may lead to uh, like a difficult conversation. A lot of times what Don and I will do is we'll lead with like what Jesus is doing here. Hey, we want you to remember we're older than you. Because we're older than you, we're more knowledgeable than you. Because we're knowledgeable than you, that makes us more wiser than you. And also, God has placed us as your authority. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here when he says, I am the amen. He's saying, remember who's talking to you. I'm the one with all authority. I'm the one full of truth. And Jesus begins by saying, I know your deeds. And that was, uh, I was really appreciative last week of Jared talking to him, shared Savannah's words about being seen. And that is so true. Um, but Jesus sees the deeds of the Laodiceans and he's about to throw his first punch. He says, you're neither hot nor cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor neither cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. First punch is a right hook by Mike Tyson, upside the head. And why is this 
so significant and hard-hitting. All right, think about the context again. Remember, Laodicea had no natural water source. So, Colossae over here, they're pumping in water. It's known for its cool, cold, refreshing water. But by the time it travels to Laodicea, the cold water has warmed up. Now it's not cool. Now it's not refreshing. Now think about the other water they're pumping in, the Heropolis water. It's known, it's hot springs. It's known to be healing. It has properties in it that help with ailments. So they're pumping it in, and as the hot water's flowing, it's cooling off. So now all the properties within the healing hot water are useless. And so it's in that context that Jesus says, you're not spiritually refreshing or you're not hot nor cold. Now, how many of y'all have heard a sermon around this text? And I know I've heard one that's like, Jesus wants you to be a on fire Christian. Don't be cold or lukewarm. I mean, I've heard one like that. Like that ain't what Jesus is getting at here. (laughs) He said, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. Please be one or the other. Don't be lukewarm, stagnant. In other words, be spiritually refreshing like the waters of Colossae or be spiritually healing by the warm waters that you get in from the Heriopolis. What he's saying is, is you're doing neither. You are ineffective. You're not refreshing anyone. You're not healing anyone. You're just doing stuff. I see your deeds. You're just doing stuff. But the deeds he saw, one commentator said, was barren, useless, rather than life-giving gospel deeds. So it wasn't like the church wasn't doing anything. They were doing what sounds like a lot of things, but they were, as the words of the great theological band Jimmy Eat World sang about, we've done nothing wrong, we've just done nothing. And as an Enneagram 3, (laughs) this hits me hard, because I thrive on being productive and achieving and setting goals and creating lists and knocking things out and getting things done. And I've had to really take a step back and do some evaluation and some hard work in my own life this week. Like Luke, I'm asking myself this. You're not, you're not necessarily doing anything wrong. Are you doing anything? Are you ineffective? Are you filling up with so, like, are your deeds impactful? I just wonder that, I think it's a worthy question to be asking of of our own selves in our church. We're not doing anything wrong, but are we doing anything kind of thing? Are we spiritually refreshing? Or are we spiritually healing? And Jesus' response is even 
striking because he says, if you're lukewarm, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. A literal translation you, you actually is, is more harsher than this. Is I'm about to vomit you out. It's as if he's asking a rhetorical question. Don't you realize you make me sick? Oh, oh. message translation. I know you inside and out. And I find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. So Jesus sees the deeds of the Laodicean church. And he says to them, you are ineffective. You're not hot. You're not cold. You make me sick. To drive this home for the crossing. Like practically, how, you know, how can we do a self-assessment? So, I mean, it's ultimately up to the Spirit to reveal these things. But here's a couple things I was just thinking through this week about how, how we can maybe measure. Maybe that's not the right word. Whether or not we're being ineffective or effective. So let's take two scenarios. Let's say someone enters your life your missional community, maybe through work, through the ball field, through your extracurricular activities, through school, whatever it may be. And they're carrying tons of guilt and shame and hurt, sadness, some trauma. And it could be caused either maybe by their own choices and their own sin or it may be sins and things that have been done to them. But either way, they're bringing in loads of guilt and shame. And in, this is the great opportunity to meet them with a healing gospel of unconditional love, of freedom from guilt and shame. This is a beautiful opportunity to meet them with the Jesus who stands ready to hold them, who's tender and gentle with them. But in our ineffectiveness, maybe they're just not seen or heard. Not in the sense that we don't like see them or not in the sense that we don't hear them talk, but we're not meeting them where they are. We're not listening and loving in ways that are impactful and that matter to them. Or maybe in an ineffective way of not being spiritually refreshing could be, again, same scenario. Someone enters our life and they're weary. They're tired, physically and emotionally tired and anxious and worried and afraid and lonely, having their world turned upside down by a number of circumstances. And this, again, is a great opportunity to meet that person with a refreshing gospel of hope, a refreshing gospel of freedom, a refreshing gospel that says you are not alone, Jesus is with you. But instead, in our ineffectiveness, they're ignored, they're not seen, not heard. Now, in my own heart this week, my prayer as I've gone through this is, man, Spirit, 
please make me see this. I think as a church, we can all pray that. That God would open our eyes to see the others around us that he places in our life to be spirit, that he would use us to be spiritually refreshing, spiritually healing. You know, Jesus, he, um, I feel like he could have stopped there and been, that's enough. <laughs> Thanks, uh, kind of thing. Uh, but he doesn't, because <laughs> now he's coming back with the uppercut. <laughs> As soon as he nails us with the right hook, here comes Lennox Lewis, catching it right on the chin. He call, in his assessment of this church, he calls out a presumptuous self-sufficiency, <laughs> a complacency with them. He's like, he just hit them up for being lukewarm, for, for being ineffective. And now he's going to get after, it's probably why you're ineffective, guys. The church had grown so, think about the context, how wealthy the city is. The church had grown so materially fat and so complacent, so satisfied with their wealth that it had hindered their spiritual effectiveness. Listen to what he says. Look at, the, look at wh- where all this led them to. He says there in verse 17, Jesus says, look, your words, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want and I don't need a thing. <laughs> Doesn't that echo back to 8060 when Rome wanted to help them? They're like, eh, no thanks, we don't need you. Tim Chester said it like this. The church was trying to live without Jesus. The self-reliance of the city had affected their attitude in the church. They had become comfortable and complacent and self-satisfied. But this self-reliance is really a form of deception. See, the church of Laodicea had no external or really internal pressures. And this is where, like this is, where we need to be careful of. And here's what I mean. This is where we can get caught into. There were uh, no pressures from Jews to conform a certain way like in Smyrna. There were no pressures from the pagans, the people outside the church like in uh, Pergamum. There was no uh, persecution going on in Laodicea. There were no internal threats like you saw in Thyatira with, uh, the, with the Jezebel or in Sardis. The Laodicean church did not succumb to internal or external pressures. The Laodicean church succumbed to their own lavish and affluent lifestyle. And the thing is, they didn't even know it was happening. They thought they were good, materially and spiritually. However, it was blinding them from the reality of what was going on. And Jesus hits them right where it hurts. Remember the context, how wealthy through banking and medicine and clothing. 
And Jesus calls them wretched and pitiful. In other words, Jesus is saying, you have everything you think you need and want, but we know you are miserable. And how true is that? How true is it that when we get everything we think we want, we just get more and more miserable? Because it's never enough, right? Never enough. And Jesus is hitting them right there. And he says, you think you're rich, but you're really poor. I know you've developed this great medicinal eye salve, but the reality is, is you're blind. I know you think you're clothed in this lucrative black market wool stuff, but you're really naked. And Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me, or I advise you to buy from me gold purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. White garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes that you will be able to see. In other words, come buy from me gold. Come get from me everything your heart is longing for. I have all the sources of riches. I have all the sources of joy and hope and happiness and peace. Everything your heart's longing for, you get from me, not from the things you're having. Come buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. You know, in the Bible, nakedness is a symbol of judgment and humiliation. Look, think about it. This is exactly what uh, happened in the Garden of Eden, right? With Adam and Eve. They sin, and what do they do? They go try to make them some clothes. Why? To hide their shame and nakedness. And here Jesus is saying, you think you're clothed, but you're so full of shame and so full of guilt. Buy from me the clothing to cover your shame and cover your guilt. Put salve on your eyes so you can see. Hey, that's great. You've made this medicine that's going all over the known world to cure eye ailments and and heal people. But man, that stuff is meaningless and actually is a hindrance when it comes to your spiritual sight. And so I'm, I'm personally, this past week and even this morning, like I was working through these, uh, trying to evaluate my own heart because here's what I'm afraid of. Man, I, we all live super posh lifestyles. No matter how we come in here today, like you all got here, more than likely by a vehicle, which the reality is most of the world doesn't have. You all have clothes on. No one's sitting here naked. There are people that barely have any clothing. You got, we ate breakfast or we ate last night. Like we're all, our bellies are full. Like I don't have to convince you. Like you can see the, the, uh, article after article, it talks about the wealth of America. And this is what scares me because I live, we live such a posh lifestyle. And, and so I'm asking myself, do I, do we as a crossing church look like Laodicea? Are we so busy doing stuff, not, not doing like the wrong things, just doing, not doing really anything, just doing the stuff that we're not really doing anything at all. 
Have we lost our dependency on Jesus? Like I'm asking myself that this morning. Like it, this morning, I was uh, walking through some of this, and my nerves just just overtook me for a moment. And I said to myself, like Luke, you have been up there in front of these people. I don't know how many times in ten years, whether preaching or leading worship or goofing off in front of y'all or whatever. Like, why is my nerves, why is my anxiety just all of a sudden rising? And it was like the Spirit said, you know what? Because you're trying to do this in your own self-sufficiency. Like, exactly what I was trying to tell the church of Laodicea. (laughs) I mean, that was like at, what time is it now? It's 11 o'clock. So that was like at 9 this morning. (laughs) Like, you're doing the exact thing I'm trying to talk to you about. And you know what I was met with? I wasn't afraid of Jesus' answer. I want to evaluate my own heart. I want us as a church to evaluate, are we really poor, blind, and naked? Because we don't have to be afraid of God's answer. In that moment this morning, he said, yes, Luke, you are poor. You are blinded right now, and you are naked because you're trying to perform this morning in your own performance and power and you are not relying upon me and you know what I was met with I wasn't met with a third punch from Jesus I was met by an invitation from him I got to meet his love this morning see what he says there just as Jesus isn't going to hold back the punches he's not going to hold back his love Verse 19, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Man, this echoes. This is like Jesus is hitting Hebrews 4 again. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Again, here Jesus is being the perfect parent. I mean, think about it. A loving parent disciplines their child, right? And I'm not talking about giving them spankings. I'm talking about like discipline simply means to teach and train. That's all it means. And that's where we get the word discipline is where we get the word disciple. So Jesus is discipling us. He was discipling my heart at nine o'clock this morning, teaching and training and correcting my heart to show where my self-sufficiency was. Here's what he's doing in that verse in 19. He's like, look, I know I'm hitting you hard right now, but it's because I love you. Turn back to me, change your ways. Look, I'm your parent. I know what's best for you. Believe that I'm the source of all riches. Believe you can do nothing without me. And then he invites them to come deeper into relationship with him. He says in verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'm going to come in and I'm going to share a meal together as friends. Oh, I'm reading from the NLT. Sorry. Supposed to be reading from the NIV. 
So he says, I'm standing at this door and you hear my voice and knock. I'm going to come in and we're going to share a meal together. I'm going to eat with you. You're going to eat with me. How many of y'all have heard a a sermon around this verse that like Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking if you'll let him in? That may be true, but that's not what Jesus is trying to get at right here. Okay, he's talking to the church. It's like he's standing outside that door right there knocking like, look, I want to be in with you. I want to dine with you. I want to share a meal together. I want to be with you. Again, it's echoing back to what John is saying in his gospel in John 15. Talking about an invitation to intimacy with him. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Like you see the correlation here? Abide in me and I in you. Revelation to the Laodiceans. I will come eat with you and you'll eat with me. You will bear much fruit in uh, John 15. You'll not be hot or cold. I mean, you will be hot or cold. You won't be lukewarm. You can't do this without me. John 15, buy from me the things your heart wants. If you do not remain in me in verse 15, you're going to be cast out and thrown away. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The light, Jesus is inviting us all throughout scripture. His whole life is an invitation for us to come and dine with him. To come and sit with him. To come and learn and be discipled by him. To give all of our deepest longings to and find that he is the source of all of our fulfillment that we're longing for. Not our affluent lifestyles. The life that Jesus is inviting us to is not an ineffective life, but it is a very effective life that first begins with intimacy with him. And what, see, if you see what he, Jesus said there, he didn't give them a three-step program like, you're ineffective, so let's do X, A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, and now you'll be effective. You know what makes you an effective Christian? An intimate relationship with Jesus. <laughs> That's what makes you effective. A life where he clothes our nakedness and shame, removing all judgment, removing all guilt. Receiving and feeling his unconditional love, being in his presence. And how is that intimacy cultivated with Jesus? We've said it a thousand times here. And it's simple, but yet it's hard. It's around three things. You know, say them with me. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. You want to cultivate intimacy with Jesus? And two things, find everything your heart is really longing for, and in turn, be able to be an effective Christian Be with Jesus. Commit to a life 
of being with Jesus through the spiritual disciplines, through constantly just remembering his presence with you. It may be an act of singing a song or listening to music or being here. Silence and solitude, prayer, fasting. And over time, not overnight, your heart and life will be transformed from the inside out to becoming more like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. And from that life, you will find all the joy that your heart is longing for. And from that life, you will be an effective Christian, being spiritually nourishing and healing to those who are sick and spiritually refreshing to those who are weary. It's communion that gives us an opportunity here that Jesus is inviting us into. The word communion means common union. And Jesus is inviting us to a common union with him. And each week we take the practice of communion here together to be reminded of two things. One, that Jesus' presence is here with us. And he longs to dine with us at a table. And two, it also gives us the reminder that even though Jesus can hit us with two punches, like his work demonstrates his love for us. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave reminds us that he's accomplished all source of joy for us. And the invitation is for us to come and dine with him. So in just a moment, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to take communion together. Um, if you're not a Christian here this morning, there's not many closed doors in this church. But here's what we would ask, that you not take communion. Because here's the reality. Taking communion doesn't give you an unanswered prayer. God's not going to love you anymore. Rather, communion or is for those who have received Christ as Savior to remember his presence and work for us. And if you have not received Christ as Savior, that's what we want for you more than anything. If you want to know more information about that, I'll be down here. Jared's here. Some of the, talk with anyone that you've came with this morning. So I invite you to stand as our, the people that are preparing for communion and our band, if you guys will come on. Let's pray together. Just take a moment to just take a deep breath. Clear any kind of distractions in your mind or in your heart. Would you just simply ask the Spirit to meet you right here this morning? In these next few moments as you take communion, would you just ask that Jesus be present with you? I mean, more than anything, I want my life, I want my family's life, I want your life to be marked by a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus, we want that. I want that for this church. I want that for my life. I want that for my family. I'm so 
thankful this morning that in the midst of my own blindness, you rub your eye salve on me and I can see my ways. I'm so thankful that in the midst of of my self-reliance, you lovingly discipline me and, and confront me. And I don't ha- didn't have to be afraid because it's not like you're bringing a heavy hand and also crossing your arms and turning your back on us and shaking your finger in disappointment at us. <laughs> no, you, you, you lovingly came to me, showed me my ways, then opened your arms and said, hey, I'm gentle, I'm lowly, come here, come on, I'll take care of you. Oh, we need to all feel that and know that this morning. Someone comes in here this morning and they've already blown it for the day. Don't let them feel a waving, wagging finger, crossed arms, or a back turn turn to them. But Jesus, rather let them feel your love and your arms open. And the fact that when we mess up, we don't have to run and hide. We run to you. So strengthen us physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. May we be people that are hot and cold, walking so closely with you. Drinking from your refreshing waters and your healing waters. Amen.